now I have the distinct pleasure of introducing uh, my friend and uh, fellow pastor, Sharon Lewis. Uh, Sharon is a dear uh, friend of mine who uh, we have given each other wise counsel over the years. And so uh, it's my pleasure to uh, bring her up here today to share the word with all of you. So Sharon, would you come? Oh, you want me to, okay. Well, come up here so I can pray with you oh, first, okay, and then we'll do it. So, Father God, I just thank you for this mighty woman of God, and I uh, pray your blessings upon her for the message that she will share. Lord, just uh, grant us ears to hear that her words of wisdom and encouragement that come straight from your word will go deep and produce fruit. So we give you all the praise, Lord, and all the glory, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a well-framed of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign and a yoke is easy, and it's firm in light. I wish I could describe it, but yet he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. 
Good morning. This is a great day. This is Labor Day weekend. And uh, people got a lot to, to celebrate, especially the ones that have jobs. So I want us all to stand up for a moment. And I want us to thank God in our own way. I want him to hear your voice. I don't want any silence in the room. I want every mouth open, every heart pouring out that this is the Lord and Savior that we serve proudly, that here in the United States that we can serve a Lord that loves us. We do not have to hide. We do not have to shrink. We can serve a Lord that loves us. Let's speak highly of the Lord because some of us in this room don't have jobs. So we can get excited, the ones that do have jobs. And believe it or not, the ones that don't have jobs, don't worry. God is just preparing you for the next blessing. So get excited right where you are today. We have no reason to be quiet. If we woke up this morning and we can breathe in and out, we should be praising the Lord today. No sour faces. If we can see each other, we should be praising the Lord this morning. If we have two legs, two arms, we should be praising the Lord this morning. Amen. Amen. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, I am hope because the Holy Spirit lives in me. Say it one more time. Find another neighbor. I am hope because the Holy Spirit lives in me. <laughs> Everybody can be seated. It was so quiet in here. I, I had to let the Holy Spirit just speak through you for a moment because it was just too quiet in here. For especially for it to be Labor Day weekend when unemployment is like still higher than ever before. <laughs> the ones that have jobs should be shouting in here. <laughs> when we got an unstable economy again, even worse than it was before. Stocks going up and down, even worse than it was before. But we can still call on our Lord and Savior, and he will provide for us. We should be excited. We should be shouting in here. The reality is, as long as we can breathe, we should be calling on the name of Jesus Christ. Not only that we need him, but because we can rejoice today. We can rejoice that we can call his name. Because there's people being slain in other countries. People being persecuted, thrown in jail, concentration camps, because they call on the name of Jesus. Because the reality is we serve a Lord that when we call out Jesus, people get scared. There's no other religion that shrinks from the name of the person they are praising other than Christians when they call the name of Jesus. You can clear room by saying Jesus. So we have to realize at all times who we serve. 
who loves us, whose you are today. You are a child of God. You are royalty today. No matter your situation, you are royalty in the eyes of your Father. So today, I'm bringing a message of bridge of hope. The bridge of hope. Now some people might say, well, what does that have to do with Luke 4? It has everything to do with Luke 4. Today we're going to dive into Luke 4 and travel with Jesus on some of his journeys. Through the unique journey, we are going to cover several major points that will apply to your life today. Not your life tomorrow, not your life in the past, but your life right where you are. How many times have you been riding down the road of life and things seem to be awesome? Okay, you feel, feel like you finally figured out this relationship with God and then you get sideswiped by this crazy, crazy car of temptation. <laughs> crazy car of temptation. Can you imagine how Jesus felt? He was so excited. He had just saw John the Baptist baptize so many people. He himself got baptized in water and then came back and got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that was a testimony to so many lives. It changed. It, it, the, the event itself changed so many lives. Can you imagine how excited Jesus felt that day? And then things turned into a bad Geico commercial. We all seen those Geico commercials. They are crazy. And you're like, who made this mess? <laughs> but Jesus had been on this exciting adventure. And then he was called into the wilderness. And it was just like a bad Geico commercial. Then the Bible says, Jesus returned from Jordan, full of the Holy Spirit, and then was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. He fasted there how many nights? How many days? And then Satan appeared to tempt him. That was his goal. Here's where I really want everybody to pay attention. Satan said, I want you to qualify yourself with me by turning the stone into bread. Jesus said, I don't have to qualify with you. My father has qualified me and I live because of him. I live because of him. Satan said, if you will worship me, I will give all that you could ever want and authority over anything on earth. Jesus said, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him 
only. <laughs> then Satan took him to the tallest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off the point. If you are the son of God, it is written that angels would protect you from harm. Jesus said, do not tell me or do not test me, the Lord your God. Jesus told him he didn't know who he was talking to. I am God. You're going to test me? I know what it says and I know what it means. Yes, Jesus was tempted too. Temptation is not something that a few people run across. Temptation is something that every one of us in this room has come across in some form or some fashion. You see, Satan tried everything and he couldn't shake Jesus. In our lives today, we have to realize that temptation and peer pressure are not a sin. How we respond to it decides if it's a sin. Temptation is not a sin. How we respond to it, in some cases react to it, makes a determination if it becomes a sin. Not too long ago, I had moved to Northern Virginia. And, you know, everybody always talks about the traffic up there. <laughs> it's a nightmare. If you, if you leave two minutes late, you're in trouble. If you leave five minutes early, you're in trouble. You got to hit it just right or you, you're gonna, it's going to be a mess. So the third week I was there, I ran into road rage. They were doing work on the road, and they had everybody merging into this particular road. And I pulled up, getting ready to merge in, and I got this. <laughs> I'm like, you know, <laughs> and it was this, and it was a guy. It wasn't a woman. I mean, it was just like, and I was like, oh, my gosh. You know, and at that point, I had a choice. I could have did it back to him, but bigger. Or I could pray for him and just go on my way. One was a sin response, and one was me pleading to God for his life. I chose to just pray for him and go on my way. However, it did scare me a little bit. But, but, but I was like, I mean, just imagine looking over and this person is going like, <laughs> you know, just going, you know, it was just awful. I was like, okay. Uh, but how we respond to temptation determines if it's a sin. 
Jesus was on a mission. And it was not to play around with Satan. He was sent on a specific mission. And the mission was hope. He was sent for hope for all nations. He wanted us to know that we had life and we had life coming to us abundantly. He wanted to show us love instead of us just seeing it in the squirrels at that time. He wanted to show us love. Love grows slowly, but judgment and rejection grows quickly. Now, we all can, we all can probably relate to that. I'm going to go to um, Luke 4, 14. And I'm going to read that part directly. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, excuse me, Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord, Lord's favor. He, excuse me, then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened to him, on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't that jo Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Excuse me, Capernaum. <laughs> Truly, I tell you, be continued. No prophet is accepted in the town, the hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when, they, when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Isaiah, Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a window, excuse me, to a widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. 
And there were many in Israel with leprosy. In that time, Elijah, the prophet, yet not one of them was cleaned, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue was furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But the walked, excuse me, but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. <laughs> this is quite interesting. Jesus reputation. His reputation in Galilee grew quickly. He was preaching and teaching everywhere. However, when he went to Nazareth, where he grew up, things were different. When he spoke in the synagogue, he told them the truth. People don't always like the truth. He told them the truth. When he spoke in the synagogue, something happened. Jesus spoke the truth about the unpopular topic. The words, love don't live here anymore, comes to mind. We don't always like the truth. Love is not always shown when the truth is revealed to people. You see, Jesus told them the truth, but as humans, we are not always ready for the truth. If it doesn't feel good and we are not walking in humility, it doesn't feel good. We are not always thinking about grace and mercy when we're in dialogue with our sisters and brothers. But most of all, we don't know how to respond when God's words permeate our hearts. We as humans sit in situations with our hearts cut open. And instead of pouring a little humidity on it so that God can take away the pain, we sit there with the hurt. We don't allow God to go into our heart and remove the mess and put things back together so the heart can be healed. Instead, we pour salt of pride on it. And it makes it feel like the heart is on fire and there's so much pain in that. Most of all, we build this huge wall around us with the intentions to keep everyone out, including God. I'm here as a living witness that we can't build that wall and have freedom because the wall that we build to protect ourselves from others, we end up imprisoning ourselves. We have to remove the wall 
if we want to be free. Anyway, back to the story. Here's something we got to think about. They chased Jesus to the edge of town. Their intentions were to push him off the cliff. However, the Bible said in Luke 4 that he passed right through the crowd and went on his next way. I'm going to tell you this illustration is an illustration of Satan using us. That we got so mad, so furious, that we literally was chasing nothing around town. We were blinded, blinded by anger and running a fictation around town. And he is nowhere, anywhere near where we are. That's being used by Satan. Your judgment is off. You allow anger to cloud your judgment, to cloud your sight. Can you imagine all these people running around town looking for Jesus to throw him off the edge and he's not even there? We didn't see him walk right past us. It's not like he had a disguise on. He walked, we were so angry that he walked past us, walked out of town, and we're running around looking for him. That's an example of allowing Satan to use us to the point that we cannot see nothing but what we want to see, not what we need to see. <sighs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Again, Jesus didn't have time to play around with Satan. He was sent on a specific mission, a mission of hope. A mission of hope. He didn't have time for craziness. He just shook off his feet and kept going. Just because conflict finds you doesn't mean that hope is not alive. Just because we have problems doesn't mean that God is not real, that God is not with you, that God doesn't want to help you go through these things. But here's the deal. We have people that get in their own way, people that cause problems. We have, we have people that are being used by Satan. So bad things are going to happen to good people, but God will help us through those things. God will help us move through the fire. Sometimes he'll say, get on my back. Let me walk you through the fire. Sometimes he said, let me walk beside you or let me walk in front of you. I will move things around for you. Don't give up. There's no reason to give up. I am your father. I will not let any more harm come to you. There are bad people in our world, but he is a good good spirit that loves you, that cares for you, that does not want you to give up on life. 
Jesus went on in the rest of chapter 4 to preach and teach with authority in Capernaum and Galilee. You see, Jesus knew what his mission was. And as soon as he dropped out of the womb of Mary, he didn't let anything or anyone get in his way. He knew that his mission was to spread hope through the gospel. He was the gospel, and his goal was to be the physical gospel to everyone. He was a great example of that. He knew that he needed to get busy building relationships with the lost. He knew that there was many to heal physically and mentally. Today, we have more mentally ill people in the United States than we ever had before. And back in the day, they used to try to hide it. At least now, they're trying to figure things out. He knew that there were many, many broken hearts to men. We knew that he knew that he had very little time to save, equip, and send out. Look, church, God didn't say that we wouldn't have problems or situations. We would not be living here if we did experience if we didn't think we were going to have problems or situations. How many here thought that when they became a Christian, they wouldn't have a problem or a situation? Because somebody told you uh, the wrong information. <laughs> Just want to let you know. <laughs> somebody told you the wrong information. They, they, they meant well, but somebody told you the wrong information. Because you accepted Christ, you became dangerous to Satan. You became part of the army of Jesus. Satan doesn't like Jesus. Satan doesn't like God. So you became enemy number one. I just preached the other day about we have to stop allowing people to accept Christ because they're scared of Satan. They need to accept Christ because they see what God has done in other people's lives and they see the movement of the Holy Spirit and they want to receive what you got. We shouldn't be scaring people into Christianity. Because if you scared them into Christianity, their whole life of Christianity would be because they're scared. They need to be in Christianity because they realize they have a Savior that loves them. He will help us to get over it, get through it, get around it. And in some cases, he would just move it out of the way. However, what we need is to hold on to his unchanging hand. That unchanging hand of hope. We should never allow Satan to take our hope away. 
because our hope is what fuels us. It's part of our faith. It helps us to touch others. Our hope is part of our testimony. Our testimony shows people the Holy Spirit. When we can step up and say, this is what the Lord did in my life, that's the Holy Spirit. People are seeing God through you. Don't let Satan take your hope away. If we listen and hold on to the promise of God, we will get through it all. He's already told you he's coming back, so he made a promise for you. He left you a beacon of the Holy Spirit, so he put a beacon in your heart. And everything he promised in the book, in the Bible, he's done. He's the only one that you can say, you know what, I can count on him and he's going to get it done. Because the reality is, we are humans, and we mess up big time. We don't mess up little. We mess up big. <laughs> okay? And so, therefore, the, the only one that I've seen that hasn't messed up is Jesus. That's the only person I've seen. He's the only person that I don't have to really give anything to undeservingly. Even when I'm angry and frustrated, he still chases me. Even when I was a brand new Christian, didn't understand tithing, and didn't give him the 10%, because he had gave me 100. He gave me 100, and all I was supposed to give you is 10. I still, when I was a brand new Christian, I didn't understand that. I never, I didn't, when I was a brand new Christian, I didn't understand that, you know what, it even feels much better when I even give more than 10. I didn't understand that, but he didn't care. He loved me. He loved me. But when I did understand that, he reminded me, you understand that now. Because <laughs> one thing I can tell you, we serve a Jesus that won't let us stay the same. <laughs> He'll take us where we are. He'll take us right where we are. We don't have to change anything. He'll take us just like we are, all nasty and ugly inside, all burnt up inside, all angry and ugly inside. But guess what? He won't let us stay that way. He, he, he won't let us stay that way because he knew how he originally made you before you got persecuted, before you got all dirty in the mud with Satan. He knew how he originally made you. So he's not going to let you stay dirty. He's going to put your white robe on. He's going to give you a bath. He's going to put the white robe on you from the inside out because you're his child. Not because he has to, because you are his child. Hope today. Hope today. We need to look around us. We should be really observant of our world today. We should feel excited about the harvest that's ready. 
There's a harvest that's ready. And we should feel joy in our hearts that we have been picked as one of the laborers. God didn't give us this for us to sit here inside the church. He gave us this and he's equipping us to give it away. Somehow, as a Christian, we forget about that. We want to sit at the table and eat and eat and eat and eat, receive and receive and receive and receive, but we never want to, a majority of us, I know it doesn't happen here, but a majority, majority of us don't want to give anything away. But God wants us to give it away. Give it away. We should be intentionally building relationships so that people can see a glimpse of the Father in you. We should be intentionally doing outreach in our communities in hope that they may see the Lord. We should be intentionally creating small groups so that people will have an accountability that displays Jesus Christ. They have an accountability. When you do small groups, an accountability factor happens. And it's not something that anybody can make up in any other situation. When you come together, accountability happens. It automatically happens. We should be intentionally about these things. We should be excited that the Father choose or chose our testimony to change people's lives. Every one of us has a different testimony. God has created it that way. And every one of our testimonies will touch somebody else's life. There's no if, no ands, no nothing. Your testimony will touch somebody's life. Because that's the way God made us. We should be excited with anticipation about coming, the coming of the king. I keep hearing all these glimpses. Well, the blood moon, well, this, well, this. The truth is we, we really don't know when he's coming back. But the reality is he is coming back soon. John 14, 6 says, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We should be excited that Jesus is our bridge to everlasting life. We should be excited that the hope is still alive. We don't live in a perfect world by any means, but we should be able to look at each other in this room and see that hope is still alive. When we're out and about, we should be able to look over and see that hope is alive through people's eyes and people's lives. We should be able to see that hope is alive when you get sick shout the shout with joy that the father is by your side the father is by your side you getting sick is something that's natural we all get sick at some point it's not a curse on you i remember when i was younger this one pastor said well if you get sick you must be doing something wrong wrong <laughs> wrong if you ever hear that run run fast as you can run sickness happens but guess what 
that allows the hope of God to play out. That allows us to be able to show miracles to people. We are miracles. We are miracles ourselves. Every one of our testimony will show that we are a miracle. And when people get sick, it's just another opportunity for God's miracle to occur. When trouble draws near, get excited because God is already preparing your way through the trouble. We got to get off focus. Oh, oh, mm -mm. call on Jesus. Call on Jesus. When Satan tries to steal your joy, pull out the gospel of peace. That is what your daddy gave you. Don't let Satan take your joy. When life gets down, look to Jesus. Call on Jesus. You know, the reality is, once we decide we have that authority that God gave us, these things are very easy to do. Sometimes we forget that God gave us authority. God gave us authority. That's a big deal. And some of us don't understand it. They don't want to understand it, okay? But the reality is that you have authority over the earth. And God is a God of hope. God is a God that loves each and every one of us. God is a God that can change your life at a blinking of an eye. God loves each and every one of us. Let us say again, I want you to turn to a, to a neighbor and say, I am hope because the Holy Spirit lives in me. Let's say it. I am hope because the Holy Spirit lives in me. Let's say it one more time, a little bit louder. I am hope because the Holy Spirit lives in me. As we close, I'd ask them to play as the deer. But what I would like for us to do as well is as, as that song starts to play, I want us to come down front. If you're struggling with hope right now, I want you to come down front. I want us to pray for you. If you have a family member that's struggling with hope, I want you to come and stand in their place and let us know so we can pray for you. If you are a brand new person here, and you just stumbled in this place because you saw it on the side of the road. And you're like, you know what, let me tr check this out. And God has spoken to your heart today. Come down front. We want to talk to you. I want us to check our hearts today. Because the reality is, even an old Christian falls down and their hope gets shaken. Even... A seasoned Christian gets their faith shaken a little bit. Through life's toils, our faith and our hope get shaken. And if you need a little prayer, a little shot in the arm, come up. Let us pray for you.